Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Adrian Goldberg's talk show, being recorded today in a beautiful village in Yorkshire, not far from Hull. And I've come to see Wendy Mitchell. Wendy is the author of Somebody I Used to Know, and it tells the story of her diagnosis at the age of 58 with early onset dementia. It's five years now since she had that diagnosis, and her book has opened a window to the world of dementia for those of us who, thankfully, have never experienced it. Hello, Hello, Wendy. I'm Adrian. Hello. Lovely to meet you. Likewise. Welcome to to Walkington. (laughs) What a beautiful place. I've got to say, firstly, Wendy, what a a privilege it is to meet you, because somebody that I used to know is a fantastic book, and you've been awarded not one, but two doctorates, because you've you've enlightened people about dementia. Yeah, that's... It's very surreal, very humbling, um, because I am, after all, just me. (laughs) And there were many people like me, and I just feel very lucky... Uh, um, that I'm now a doctor doctor (laughs) (laughs) and your diagnosis Mm. was five years ago yeah almost to the day July the 31st 2014 so I might not have much of a short-term memory but that's one date I'll never forget and reading the book it's clear that before you got that diagnosis you had that sense that something wasn't right. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I worked full-time uh, in the NHS as a non-clinical team leader, and I was renowned for having this brilliant memory, and yet suddenly it decided to let me down very badly, and I wouldn't know the names of the people in meetings that I'd actually worked with for years. And then one day I came out of my office and just didn't know where I was or who all the voices belonged to. So that's that rang the alarm bells to tell me there was something wrong, but dementia never entered my head at that point. Now, I think you thought you might perhaps have a brain tumour. You'd right, fallen yeah. a few times when you were running. Uh, yes, because uh, yeah, I, I adored running. That was my stress reliever from work. And I used to run every other day, and then my legs and my brain suddenly stopped talking to one another, and I'd fall flat on my face. So again... You know, your mind works overtime, drumming up possible causes for what's going on in your head. But like so many other people, I thought dementia only affected elderly people. So to be 58 at the time, dementia had just never entered my vocabulary before. And the process of diagnosis... Mm by definition almost wasn't immediate you you had some tests done and then there was a, a wait of a year mm. uh, and the the consultant tested your de- your decline as it turned mm. out so mm. i suppose the diagnosis when it came to you 
wasn't an absolute surprise, mm. but it must have been a devastating blow mm. to hear that diagnosis. It, it certainly was. Um, it was, as you say, a devastating diagnosis, but it was also bizarrely a relief because it finally put a, an end to all the ifs, buts and maybes and gave me a name to start working with and start planning for the future. At the time you were working at the NHS and you were yeah. known as the guru because yeah. you know, with the horrible irony really, yeah. you had this fantastic razor sharp memory yeah. for names of patients. You were a, a non-clinical leader yeah. in, in your area in the NHS as well. What I thought was interesting was that as somebody who worked in the NHS, you were hesitant about coming out, as it were, as mm. someone with dementia. And initially, at least, you w it wasn't particularly well received. No, it certainly wasn't. Um, I think the first thing my manager said was, how long have you got? So Almost like it was like uh, a terminal diagnosis. Yes. Yeah, or an immediate terminal diagnosis. So that, again made me realise that this was going to be a tough few months because at the time I wasn't ready to retire. Um, I wanted to retire on my terms, not being pushed out as I felt I was being. So I decided to come up with my own plan of what would help me continue working. And I took that plan to my manager to occupational health and really they they had no choice but to accept it because they couldn't offer me anything you know it should have been a two-way conversation um, but at least they allowed me to put my plan into action and my actual team were amazing they were the stars of the show because I told them through a dementia friends session and the day after they came to me with ideas of what they could do to help. So if it hadn't have been for my team, I think I would have probably walked a lot sooner than I did. And the assumption from occupational health, you said in the book, when you told them about your condition was that immediate early retirement was pretty mm. much the only option but it struck me that in that situation you did what you've done with many elements of your diagnosis and your condition you've taken charge mm. of it you haven't let other people drive the bus mm. you've tried to drive it as much yeah. as you can yes so many people will let you down along the way and I was determined that I wasn't going to let me down um If you can't believe in yourself, you know, other people aren't going to do it for you. So I had to show them that there was a way, because that's my mantra now, there's always a way. And no matter how difficult it is, you know, I always try and find a way to overcome all the difficulties that dementia throws at me. And an example of that is that when you were unable to drive anymore, you started riding your, your pink bike yeah, around. Yeah, um, it was turning right that was so difficult in the car 
because my if if for the drivers out there it's it's a very complex process is turning right and my brain and my body weren't quick enough to talk to one another and so a bike was slower but I also realized that with the bike as well that had to come to an end because again I couldn't turn right eventually so I've but I found a way to get to the local shops by continually going left in a circle so again there were there was a way of of keeping riding my bike and I think in terms of managing your condition it struck me that that sense of finding ways around was the way in which I think you said that it opened up the world to you at a time when mm. things were closing down for you finding mm. ways around was a way instead of the closing in it mm. was the opening up of experience yeah well, I used to be this really reserved person but now me and my daughters laugh because I've turned into this gregarious alien <laughs> that will do anything now I never say no unless it's just too much um, I'll say yes to doing things simply to raise more awareness but also all these things that I do I I call them my Sudoku because they keep my brain exposed to different conversations and different environments and I have to work my brain really hard to even get there so all this taking part in things and doing things actually is good for me as well and for people who don't know about the work that you do you are incredibly active in retirement you chose mm. the moment at which you retired from the NHS rather mm. than the NHS choosing it for you mm. but you live an incredibly rich and active mm. life now as a as a, a, a dementia advocate. Well, yeah, I, I think I'm busier now than I ever was when I worked. <laughs> uh, um, because, it, because it does me good. Um, I always hate an empty calendar because on those days I can feel dementia taking over and sitting doing nothing is actually wonderful but that's dementia's way of lulling you into this false sense of security when in fact it's doing that keeps you more stable for longer or or declining slower and i think that's a really important point that you make as well that people hear a diagnosis of dementia and may have a stereotypical view mm -hmm. of what someone with dementia is but as you're proving with your very active life going out on the road the public speaker ambassador for the Alzheimer's society and so on it is that it isn't dementia isn't just one thing it is a process mm -hmm. and even within that process there are good days and which I'm guessing one of today is one of those for you, but there are also bad days. Uh, it's definitely um, a process because when people hear that word dementia, they immediately skip to the end stages and they forget that there's a beginning and a middle with so much life still to be lived. And people 
can sometimes, when they get that diagnosis, the people around them immediately protect them and wrap them in cotton wool. Whereas that's actually the worst thing you can do. For the kindest of reasons, people start doing things for you. And yet, if we don't do things day after day after day, we just forget. And that's why I often think it's an advantage that I live alone. Because I have to find a way to cope. My daughters, for the kindest of reasons right at the beginning, started doing things for me. And as soon as I realised what was happening, they suddenly started putting on my coat. And I told them that if you kept putting on my coat, you'd have to come to my house every time I wanted to go out. And they stopped immediately. (laughs) But, But it's for the kindest of reasons people do things for us. But it's actually... It's not doing you a favour because you're then stuck with having to do it. But it's not doing us a favour because it's chipping away at our independence. And as you say, you are living in this beautiful village here on your own. I think one of your daughters is nearby, but you are totally independent. Mm. Sarah and Gemma, your daughters, and I know they've been incredibly supportive reading your book, but right right from the start of your diagnosis, you have been clear that you do not want your daughters to be your carers. And you've had to correct people who've called them your carers. They are not your carers. They're still your daughters. They're my my daughters. I get annoyed when people immediately assume that they're my carers. They'll always be my daughters. And I want them to continue to be my daughters. I never want to intrude on their lives so much because it does stop their lives by becoming a carer. It does put enormous stress and strain on them. Uh, And I always say when I got my diagnosis, so did my daughters. And it's so important to talk. Many people don't know how to talk about, about the future but also the issues that they're having. You know, I want to know what's worrying them as well as what them wanting to know what's worrying me because I'm still that mum. I met somebody the other week who told me that he suspected he had dementia. And I said, well, have you been to hospital to have it checked out? And he said, no, I'll, I'll leave that. My mm. own father had was diagnosed with dementia, mm. I think, quite late in the day. Would your advice then be to go and get it checked out, to, to, to mm. confront it yeah. earlier rather than later so that you can deal with it and talk about it? Yeah, such is the stigma associated with that word that people often go into denial or they don't actually want to know. But actually, if you find out, if you get a diagnosis, you can then start adapting your life while you're still able to, which will see you through for longer. You said that having people assume that your daughters are your Mm. carers is one of the things that annoys Mm. you about having dementia. What are the other mistakes, if you like, Mm. that if anybody's listening to this, that that Mm. they shouldn't make Mm. if they're talking to somebody with Mm. dementia? Well, I 
I hate being called uh, someone who's suffering from dementia. I think language is so, so important. Language and body language. And yes, we suffer every day. I am not denying that whatsoever. But if all we hear is that word suffering from dementia, we be, it begins to take over your thoughts and you find it hard to think of life as a good place and think of the good moments. So I simply prefer living with. Um, I don't like the term living well with dementia because that sets such a high standard for many people who it then has the alternative effect because they don't feel able to live well. And so I just prefer something like um, living living the best as your circumstances allow because then that gives everybody a, a goal then that's achievable. One of the remarkable things about your story, and it crops up a couple of times in your book, is when you talk about the gift of dementia. Mm. You use that phrase on mm. one occasion, the gift of dementia. Mm. And on another occasion, you talk about the things that it can give you. Mm. To anyone who's had a close relative living with dementia, uh, I think that will sound quite a hard thing mm. to get their head around. What do you mean mm. by that? I think dementia has given me and my daughters that gift of appreciating time, appreciating the small things around you. Because we, it's such a bummer of a diagnosis that we, you never know when you're going to go over that edge. And so I never look to the future now. I've got no control over it. I don't concentrate on the things I can't do because I've no control over that. But I do have control over appreciating today and enjoying moments, no matter how small, of today. And it's just given us that appreciation of time is limited. Uh, it is for everybody. But for us, it's that unknown that just makes you appreciate today. And we live in a time when people talk about mindfulness and mm. living in the moment. That's partly, even though it's a, a terrible way in which to receive this gift, mm. but that, I suppose, is what you're saying that dementia has given you. Yeah, absolutely. Some people pay thousands of pounds to learn mindfulness, whereas dementia has, has given me that ability for free. Um, not one that I would ever have chosen, but it's still still there. But it's also opened up um, a whole new world for me insofar as I wouldn't have met, I wouldn't have met you if it hadn't have been for dementia. I wouldn't have met so many wonderful people 
if it hadn't have been for dementia. And I wouldn't have had a Sunday Times bestseller if it hadn't have been for dementia. So I always try and look at the positives to get me through the negative days. One thing I've learned from the book is that dementia is more than just forgetfulness. Mm. You describe a kind of milky anaesthesia Mm. running through your brain. Mm. Very difficult for people who've never experienced Mm. that, I suppose, to understand it. But how can you describe that to us? Uh, I I call it a fog. Um, It's like walking in a thick fog when you're having a bad day and you can't make sense of where you are, where you're going, what the time of day is. Um, And that's how I describe it, like walking through a thick fog. But it's also important to remember that dementia isn't just about memory. It's so many of our senses are affected as well. Um, My hearing was the first thing to be affected. That's why I had to move from York. Um, It's not that I'm going deaf. It's that certain tones of noise physically hurt my ears now. Um, And in York, sirens blare every two minutes and they physically hurt my ears. But audiologists have now realised that many of us have hyperacusis and they can actually do something for us for that noise. They can provide ear guards that simply block out that tone. But also our, our, our taste buds change. It's like I only like savoury food now because sweet food tastes doubly sweet. But for many of my playmates, then savoury food tastes doubly salty, so they prefer sweet food. So it's all down to the individual. They say when you've met one person with dementia, you've simply met one person with dementia. All our senses are affected differently. In the book, you talk about taking part in a medical trial. Oh, yeah. And you're given what may be a drug or what may be a placebo. Yeah. Oh, mine was a drug. I I insisted they told me in the end. Um, And so very reluctantly they did. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was important to know because I, I, I wanted to to know whether it did have a chance or not or whether I, it was just a placebo. And do you feel confident? I know that you're very engaged in mm. medical research around dementia. Do you feel mm. confident that there will be significant breakthroughs mm. in the years ahead? Well, I personally don't think there'll ever be a cure. But I think the real breakthrough will come at the beginning to, to through imaging and through early detection because they can actually detect dementia 20 years before it actually um, appears. Um, and so I think the breakthrough will come on delaying the onset and on um, 
delaying the progression. Uh, that's where I think the massive work is is being done at the moment. You raise one very difficult issue in the book, and I'm almost embarrassed to raise it, except that you raised it in the book, which is the question of going to Dignitas at a point in your life when you feel that life is no longer worth living. But it's something you obviously feel very passionately about. I do, really passionately. I think uh, I'm sad that the laws in this country don't allow it. But I'm also reluctant to go to Dignitas because it's a foreign country that I wouldn't know. And my daughters would have that flight out with me, but a flight back without me. And that that hurts that they would have to do that. And they wouldn't mind, and they've told me they wouldn't mind. But for me, that thought... It's just a thought too far. And I just wish they'd have more conversation in this country about how we can do the same here. Because I don't... Many people say that, oh, but people in the late stages can be happy. But I don't want to go over that edge into not being... um, almost in control, if you like. I don't want to dementia to be in control of me. So I've got, I've got no fear of death whatsoever. And, and I'm sure I will find a way when I'm... Uh, uh, I'll hopefully find a way before I go over the edge. But we, we never know when that edge might appear. So it's a very difficult balance... And it's almost as if the laws at the moment make you go before you're ready, go before is necessary. And I just, that's why I just wish the laws on assisted dying would change. But in your mind, you've no doubt that when that point is reached, whenever that may be, and hopefully Mm. in your case, it'll be many years Mm. in the future you would still like that option? I would definitely still like that option. And my daughters know that. We've talked. As I said, to the, the one thing dementia has taught us is the importance of talking. I'd just like to say, Wendy, you know, in conclusion, really, I'd like to thank you. My father, mm. as I mentioned, had dementia. I don't mm. feel that I necessarily helped him as well as I could as a son or understood mm. as well as I might have done, his condition, reading your book, has given me, sadly, belatedly, a a Mm. far greater insight into it. And I think it's done a fabulous service to people who have dementia. You probably did the best you could with the knowledge that you had at the time. And maybe the knowledge that you have now will help other people. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming.